Computer, initialize Holosuite. Star Trek fans, and welcome to Random Trek Book Review, the podcast where we read, analyze, and review a not-so-randomly selected Star Trek book or novel. My name is Andrew, and I will be flying solo this week for RTBR, as my good buddy Matt was unfortunately killed by Armus last week. Now, don't worry, we're hoping that we can find a Romulan clone for next week's regular scheduled programming. This week, we're looking at Star Trek Discovery Book 2, Drastic Measures. It was released on February the 6th, 2018, and the cover features Michelle Yeoh as Commander Philippa Georgiou and Jason Isaacs as Lieutenant Commander Gabriel Lorca. It was written by Dayton Ward, and the audiobook was narrated by Robert Peckoff. On the back cover, we get this. It is 2246, ten years prior to the Battle of the Binary Stars, and an aggressive contagion is ravaging the food supplies on the remote Federation colony Tarsus IV and the 8,000 people who call it home. Distress signals have been sent, but the, any meaningful assistance is weeks away. Lieutenant Commander Gabriel Lorca and a small team assigned to a Starfleet monitoring outpost are caught up in the escalating crisis and bear witness as the colony's governor, Adrian Kodos, employs an imaginable solution in order to prevent the mass starvation. While awaiting transfer to her next assignment, Commander Philippa Georgiou is tasked with leading to, to Tarsus for a small, hastily assembled group of first responders. It's hoped this advanced party can help stabilize the situation until more aid arrives, but Georgiou and her team discover that they're too late. Governor Kodos has already implemented his heinous strategy for extending the colony's besieged food stores and safeguarding the community's long-term survival. In the midst of the rescue mission, Georgiou and Lorca must now hunt down the architect of this horrific tragedy and the man whom history will one day brand. Kodos, the Executioner. As is customary here on RTR, I'm going to give a quick one-minute impression of the book. Um, of course, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't read it yet, make sure you get down to the library or bookstore and pick up your copy first. Um, I didn't like this one as much as I like Desperate Hours. I think that the idea of using Lorca, especially Prime Lorca, and Philippa Georgiou is a great idea. Uh, but unfortunately, I found this a really difficult book to get through, and it took me many, many weeks of picking it up and then putting it down, then kind of forcing myself to read Chapter for Bed, and till eventually I got to a point where I was like, I need to get through this, and I just sat down one afternoon and powered the last 50, 60 pages just to be done with it. I think that a big reason why I didn't love this one is that the entire book is based around setting up this guy Kodos, and he of course is from the original series episode, Conscience is for Kings. That is from the first season, episode number 13, um, and unfortunately it had been so long since I had seen that episode that it wasn't really until I got to the end of the book that I realized that that was such an important part of it and I really wish that I had watched that episode first and that they had maybe mentioned that in the book that it would be worthwhile to read or go and see that episode before you start reading. Um, other than that, this book takes place 10 years before the Battle of Binary Stars, which is why uh, you see the different command ranks for both Lorca and Georgiou. But other than that, it's really the only background development that I've found. 
Alright, let's jump into some plot points here, and uh, first off, the teaser. Uh, it starts off kind of interesting. It's uh, this journal-slash-diary kind of expose feel, where somebody's going and interviewing somebody, uh, and it's obviously in the future. Um, it's somebody named Hisayo Fujimura, who uh, we'll find out relatively quickly is a supporter of um, Kodos and is in a New Zealand penal colony a la Tom Paris at the beginning of Voyager. And we also find out that uh, the big kind of driving force behind uh, the beginning of this book is this fungal outbreak. So basically, an outbreak has occurred where fungus is starting to kill the wildlife and plant life of the colony, and they're going to run out of food. Uh, the replicators are also affected, so even if they replicate something, it will continue to have this fungus on it. So that's kind of the, the basis of it um, and the driving force of the story. And of course, the other half of the story is Kodos the Executioner. So he is a governor um, of this partic particular colony, and he has a plan to basically wipe out half the population. He tells some people to go to the arena, and he tells other people they're going to go later. And when everybody gets to the arena, he uses stolen Starfleet phasers to basically just kill them and wipe them out. Uh, and as the story progresses, it turns out that the people that he chose to let live were important to the colony, and he kind of deemed them to be more worthy. But of course, in his speech and everything like that, he makes it seem like it's a sacrifice of this for that. I think that uh, it's a great idea for a story, and I think that this is probably the reason why when... Dayton Ward went back and watched Conscious for Kings. Uh, he thought that this was such a great idea for a storyline, and uh, other people have written books on it as well. It's one that tends to come up every once in a while. Um, so I actually think that the spine of the story and uh, all of the ideas behind that are actually quite good, um, and I was hooked relatively quickly into the story, and I was kind of anticipating Lorca and... Uh, George Zhao showing up to kind of solve this problem, uh, and that is what we do get, but I just think that the way that it's executed once we get to those spots is not the greatest. All right, let's talk about uh, Philippa George Zhao, because uh, those of you that listen to the regular programming know I'm a big fan of Michelle Yeoh. I love her Kung, Kung Fu cinema stuff. Uh, I actually really like her on Star Trek Discovery as well, um, and that was probably the most exciting thing that I was ready for when I picked this book up. Um, so she's aboard the Narbonne. She's awaiting a transfer. Uh, it happens to be the closest ship, just in Star Trek fashion, and gets called to this emergency at Tarsus 4. Now, unfortunately, when she gets there, because she's not the captain and she's not making the calls, she's not really the badass that we kind of know from the TV show. She ends up kind of just organizing some stuff to feed the colonists, um, and just kind of does a lot of bureaucratic stuff. She kind of gets an office set up at one part of the ship, and she spends a lot of the book really not doing much, which was a bit of a disappointment. Uh, she does finally jump into action near the end of the book when Kodos is attempting to steal a ship, uh, and so she kind of makes a big risk to beam herself aboard, uh, prevents them from uh, stealing the ship and ends up kind of crash landing it safely without anybody getting injured. Um, but she also has a little kind of side mission where 
they are trying to make a diversion at the power plant as well. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, Giorgio's not really used to the best of her abilities uh, in this particular book, especially since uh, we've seen the mirror Giorgio now in season two, uh, you know, with all the kicks and the punches and all the, the fighting stuff. So the fact that there was not really any of this and the fact that uh, we just saw her last week in Desperate Hours or last time in Desperate Hours and she was arguing with Pike and she kind of had that sass to her that we all know and love. Uh, this time around, especially since it's half focused on her, it was a disappointment that we didn't really get to see her do too much. Lorca, on the other hand, has a lot more to do in this particular book. Um, he's already on Tarsus IV when this event occurs, uh, and he spends the beginning part of the book with his crew uh, kind of hidden out in this outpost. Eventually, there's an attack, he loses a couple of crew members, and this kind of jumps off the, the main action for Lorca as he heads into the town to basically hunt down this Kodos person. Uh, we also find out uh, amongst the the midst of this searching, that Lorca was also in a, a pretty serious relationship, uh, and it turns out that uh, his girlfriend at the time um, was killed in this mass slaughter, which just makes him even angrier and gives him kind of the, uh, the oomph to go and chase this guy down. Um, we see a lot of the book through his eyes, but also through this narrator that we keep flipping back and forth from, um, which makes it a little bit tough to follow. I think I mentioned that I had kept putting this down and picking it up, and so every time I picked it up, it seemed like it was maybe like a different time, or it was following a different different person. It, it was kind of difficult to read in that way. Um, that being said, I do like that as an idea. I like the idea that this narrator is kind of this through path line, and we do find out at the very end of the book that the person who is writing this book or writing this expose is one of the little kids in the book that we found in the first place. So that part of it was kind of cool. Um, Lorca eventually uh, gets to the main colony, uh, meets up with Georgiou as well as some of the members of the Narbonne, uh, and they interrogate somebody named Alexander Simmons, who is uh, basically the right-hand man for Kodos. Um, it's a great scene, I actually one of my favorite scenes, and unfortunately one of the only scenes that we see Georgiou and uh, Lorca together, but um, she kind of turns a blind eye, he gives him a bit of a pressing uh, and gives up where Kodos is. Um, this leads to the big climax, which is the kind of the last quarter of the book, uh, where Lorca is leading a team of people up a booby-trapped mountain um, and eventually uh, storms the cave that Kodos is hiding out in. Um, it's your typical action fair. Um, nothing too, too crazy. There's a couple of booby traps along the way, uh, and we kind of get to see Lorca, you know, in command. You know, he's out front, he's leading them, which, which is always nice to see. Um, they storm the cave, and they do find that Kodos's body has been, been burned, uh, obviously either in the firefight or from some sort of secondary type of explosion. Um, and that's it. It, it kind of leaves with... Uh, some more re recruits coming in, some uh, more food and things like that as they clean up Tarsus IV. Um, the book eventually gets published, and I, like I mentioned, it's called The 4000, Crisis on Tarsus IV, um, so that this will never happen again. One of the interesting things about Lorca is that uh, throughout the, the narration, uh, she keeps going and talking to 
these different people and getting their perspective of the incident. Uh, but Lorca declines, which is a little bit strange. I guess maybe it's too painful uh, for him to recall or for him to talk about. Um, but uh, all in all, it was pretty good. And of course, the big you know cliffhanger ending that uh, if you had seen the original series episode that everyone saw coming, um, Kodos actually lived and you see him uh, in a disguise taking a shuttle away from the planet uh, to go off and uh, be in Conscious as Kings. Uh, if you don't remember that one, that is the one where Kirk um, shows up and at a planet and there is rumor that somebody who is doing a Shakespearean uh, opera or Shakespearean play uh, may be Kodos the Executioner. And um, this kind of hits home for Kirk in the episode because he was one of the people that was there, one of the very few people that actually saw his face because um, most of the people who had seen his face were killed in that uh, the big execution that he had done, and there's only been a couple of people uh, that had ever seen him. So Kirk does make an appearance in the book. It was a little bit cringeworthy when I first saw it come up, but then I realized after when I watched the episode that it's kind of a necessity. Um, he's basically a little kid, and he's hiding in the rafters at Tarsus IV, so he sees Kodos's face, and that kind of leads into the episode where he's one of the only people that had seen him. So um, I don't love that. Um, just kind of like with Star Wars these days, it seems, um, when everybody seems to be showing up in the same place, it makes the universe seem awfully small. And so in this situation, Philippa Georgiou, who is, you know, Star Trek Discovery Season 1, uh, jump-off point is the person who gets called to pick up all the resources. Then you've got Lorca, who is the captain from Season 1. And then you've got Kirk running around as a little kid. Um, and I don't know. There's something about that that just makes the Star Trek universe seem really small. I kind of feel like this was not necessary in order to make this... Uh, story work. Um, I feel like they maybe, maybe could have just done it with just Lorca or just George Yao, using both of them and then having Kirk there as well just doesn't seem to work for me. And that's Drastic Measures. Uh, we should look at the cast and characters really quickly here. Um, the big ones I've already talked about, Lorca is not really the same Lorca from the TV show because this is the prime Lorca. And I feel like they didn't really do too much new with him. He's pretty much just a generic action guy and he doesn't really do anything to make you that enthralled with him. Uh, he obviously has this whole... Uh, story arc where he's super upset because the people that are close to him have been killed but it doesn't really resonate with the reader or at least it didn't with me and I felt like we kind of missed an opportunity to learn some big pieces about Prime Lorca uh, since we only really knew the mirrored Lorca. Uh, the same thing with Commander Georgiou. Again I like her so much more as a captain and I feel like she did so much more in Desperate Hours that when we see her here, she's just kind of pushing papers and the little bit of action stuff that she does get to do falls kind of flat for me personally. Um, and considering they were the two biggest pieces, it is a little bit of a disappointment again. Um, we also have Kodos. Uh, Kodos is this mysterious figure early on. 
where nobody's seen his face, nobody knows uh, what he looks like, he kind of is running a shadow government, he then does this awful, horrible thing where he kills a bunch of people, uh, and does it kind of in the name of saving the other half, uh, but then for the rest of the book, he spends it in a cave, kind of like the Saddam Hussein thing, where uh, he's just kind of hiding out and waiting to try to kind of escape, um, and we don't really get too, too much from him. Uh, and I went back and watched Conscience for Kings after I had read this book and realized that that's where it was from. And I don't really see the character that's in that original series episode here in this book. And that might be kind of the worst offense of this particular book. And maybe Star Trek Discovery as a whole is that um, they keep trying to lean on stuff that was in the original series, bringing back Spock, uh, you know, leading into this episode, having baby Kirk run around. But when I try to imagine it in my mind, I have a really hard time doing it. I have a hard time envisioning that when I'm reading this book, 10 years we're going to get the Discovery TV series and another 10 years we're going to get the original series. It's just everything feels so different. It was written so different that it just doesn't really uh, feel like it connects very well for me. Um, other than that, I, like I said, I think that the, the most memorable scene for me is that interrogation scene with Lorca and George Zhao when they, they shake down the right-hand man, Alexander Simmons, uh, and he, they get him to squeal where Kodos is hiding out. Um, but as an overall feel for this particular book, I didn't love it that much. Um, I think last week I gave uh, Desperate Hours 3 out of 5. Um, this time, I, I think I'm going to have to drop it down to 2 out of 5, and in honor of uh, Conscience for Kings, uh, it'll be 2 out of 5 Shakespearean actors. And that's it for this edition of RTBR. I have uh, a Romulan clone of Matt here uh, for next week's regular scheduled programming, so make sure that uh, you tune in for that. Uh, and next time on uh, Random Trek Book Review, we'll be looking at uh, Fear Itself. Uh, that is the one uh, with Saru. So I'm hoping that uh, we don't get a original series retread or original series characters showing up. I'm hoping that that book is uh, kind of a one-off and we learn some good stuff about uh, Mr. Saru. Uh, so until next time, we'll see you later. This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs. Loading Sweet Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek review podcast. We get kind of that funny little bit where he's got the relationship book, and I guess maybe they're foreshadowing a little bit of, you know, future, you know, hunk <laughs> Odo. <laughs> the, the, like, romance book was hilarious. He had a funny line. I forget what it was exactly now. I didn't write it down. I only read three chapters. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was pretty good. And they definitely do this. When they have kind of a heavy, deep episode, they'll sometimes put a little bit of a joke or, or something light off the top. 
Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Expanse, an Enterprise Podcast. Uh, I call it the holy shit moment in my notes, when Dr. Soong asked Malik to give the scientist the antidote for the disease, uh, only for Malik to say no. He was stunned that Soong would even suggest it. I mean, is that an oh shit moment for you? Kind of knowing how how the augments are from, you know, basically Khan and his crew. Th- this to me was, was Malik more saying, you know what, you're not leading us anymore. I'm going to be the one that's going to lead us. You're actually weak and don't even know why I ever called you father. That's sort of where you see his turn from a father-son dynamic to an enemy dynamic, in my mind. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.